Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. So after 56 years of hurt, regrets in Russia, woes at Wembley, can England deliver under Gareth Southgate at the third time of asking? I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. It's Kieran Chippier. It is delicious! We're excited by the group. We think there's a lot of exciting talent within it, but the whole group have got to come together. You know, there's a lot of challenges. It's a unique situation for everybody, this tournament. You've seen a team that's gone to a semi-final and a final in back-to-back tournaments. So where should the expectations be placed on this team? I think it's quite fair to talk about, you know, trying to win a trophy. Well, joining me to preview England's hopes in Qatar, we have our dedicated England writers, Jack Pitt-Brook and Oliver Kay, as well as the US men's national team writer for The Athletic, Paul Tenorio, joining us. Um, Jack and Paul already out in Qatar. And before we get to the football, just wanted to take the the temperature of the tournament build-up, I suppose, quite literally and, and metaphorically as well. How does it feel, Jack, so far? Uh, it's it's very hot. I mean, that is lit- it, that is quite literally the first thing you notice when you get here. As soon as you step off the plane, like like a lot of people coming from the UK, I landed at about midnight local time. At which point, it was pitch black, but very very hot. I know that the player when the England team landed a few hours before me on Tuesday, they noticed exactly the same thing. They said it was, you know, it was it was like coming back from um, it was like arriving somewhere on holiday in the Mediterranean, and suddenly it's it's very hot. And I do think. It does make you think it's going to be a struggle on Monday. England are playing Iran at 4pm local time. And it is, you know, it's not very sporting conditions at 4pm here. Uh, So it does make me think that this will have an obvious knock-on effect in all the games which are either 1pm or 4pm local time here. Paul, is this just Englishmen being a bit soft? I mean, how is it for you? (laughs) No, I feel like every day that I step out... uh... In the morning, actually, this morning, I went with my colleague, Sam Stayskull, to try to find some some coffee. And we stepped out of our apartment. And Sam's first comment to me was, is it hotter this morning or is it just me? <laughs> and it just feels like it keeps getting warmer uh, and warmer every day that you're here. Like, I'm not I've not adjusted yet. And mind you, I, I left Chicago and it was quite cold. It snowed a couple of days after I left. So I, I still have that adjustment happening. But um, yeah, it's toasty. I, the U.S. has an advantage in that all of their their group games are at 10 p.m. local, and it, it is quite nice comparatively in the evening. Um, and and actually, if you can find shade, it's not too 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 overwhelming. But when you're playing under the sun, or when you're out under the sun, when we go to training, it's pretty overwhelming. And so, yeah, I think for the day games, you know, we're we're gonna see maybe some some slower football 
in the second half as, as the sun really takes effect um, because it, it's going to be real. But, you know, what's what's interesting is that I just think that like the 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 aspect of that for fans is going to be very interesting as well, because, you know, when you walk around to the different places where the fans are going to congregate, it's not like you can find shaded spots. You know, they're, they're, you're going to be out in the sun a lot. And I, I hope people are prepared. I hope the tournament is prepared to make sure people are staying hydrated and, and finding coverage because it's not it's not temperate. It's 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 quite overwhelming. Well, Ollie, you and I have all of this to look forward to. Uh, <laughs> Paul and um, Jack are already adjusting. Let's focus on the on the football. Let's focus on this third tournament under <laughs> under Gareth Southgate. What's your sort of your gut feeling? Because I suppose that that's the most important thing at the moment. What's your, we don't we don't know how it's going to go. We don't know how they're going to perform on the field. It has to just sort of come down to a, a feeling at the moment. And, and what is your feeling? My feeling is that it, it's wildly unpredictable what could happen with England. And in general, really, I think, I think this, this situation of having such a small build-up to a tournament makes it, I don't, I don't want to say more of a level playing field, but it, it, it makes it, it more unpredictable in some ways. You're going to get teams who are who were there, who have barely trained. I think international football generally can be like that, where everything just looks thrown together with teams who who have a, have a couple of days training before before an international game. Generally, with tournaments with a big build up, with acclimatization, with you know, with it's normally about four weeks of of build up. Normally, everything looks a bit more prepared, less thrown together, and I think this time there's genuinely an excuse for teams particularly those who have come you know, straight from very hectic domestic league programmes or, or, or club programmes. And I mean, just using England as an example, I think it's four training sessions between meeting up and their first game, which is ridiculous. I mean, we've, we've made concessions in the past so that te- England teams have a full month to prepare. That's something like ideal. Four days, four training sessions is far from ideal. Add the... The weather, the climate—it's not weather; it's climate. Um, to that, and, and and the heat, and you know, we've used that as an excuse, certainly and legitimately, I think, at times in in, in past. I remember seeing England you know, players absolutely shedding what seemed like bucket loads of sweat against Paraguay in um, in, in Germany a, a few years ago. And they were just clearly flat out on the feet by the second half, and they're going from this time an English winter or English autumn to. Playing in Doha at what is four pm local time with almost no preparation, and I'm not making excuses because that's not my job. But I think there are mitigating factors where you would expect or, or, or find it hard to expect them to hit the ground running, or for almost any team to hit the ground running. Jack, I just wondered, you know, having been there and been in the England environment, has it come up in conversation? you know, now that they are there, that, that this is actually the best preparation that they could have had, i.e. having training sessions, rather than like some of the other nations, I mean, Portugal, Poland, Mexico, I mean, there's been quite a few that have actually plonked a, a friendly game before the tournament. Has there been any sort of thoughts that, oh, maybe we might be undercooked in terms of game time? Or do you think the, the acclimatisation is actually the best course of action? I think Southgate's view on this last week at the squad announcement press conference was that really the the players should uh, are coming into this fully fit like that you know they've all they've played so much football with their clubs recently I don't think they need an extra tune up it's not like you know if this was if this were a normal international tournament starting on let's say the 15th of June 
you're going to have guys who haven't played any football for three weeks and that's why you need those extra games and sometimes you do run the risk of getting to a tournament where the players have, have lost a bit of that freshness but I don't think we're going to have that problem at all I actually think that from a physical from the physical side the players are going to be really really on it from the start notwithstanding the heat of course so I guess the other challenge is can they you know can they play in the kind of coordinated way that you need high-level football to be played in if they haven't trained a lot together. And I think in that sense, there might be a reward just for the fact that England have got so much stability. You know, England Southgate's been the manager for six years now. I'd say most of the players were part of the squad for the Euros in 2020 and, of course, for the um, for the World Cup in 2018. So they should really know what they're doing out on the pitch together. They should understand the kind of, you know, the movements, the coordinations, the pressing all that kind of stuff. So maybe in that sense, it will play into England's hand. Maybe, you know, not having that tune-up time will affect other teams more than it will England. Ollie, England have not won in six matches, but then in terms of tournaments, they've got good form. Obviously, they, they went to the semi-finals of the last World Cup. They got to the finals of the Euros. But for Gareth Southgate, if you look back when he first started... The big thing was that England were almost playing with a with a freedom, you know, that they didn't have that mental baggage. They were also playing uh, football that was exciting people. There's something on them down the right-hand side. Walker is charging past Trippier. But it's Trippier who'll cross, and it's Luke Shaw! It's the start of dreams! That's not necessarily the case right now is it so do you think that he's going to have to deal with a with a pressure that he's not had to deal with before at a tournament I do yeah I think England for once well I mean I would say if you look back at the if you go back as, as far as sort of 2014 World Cup Euro 2016 I don't think there was a great deal of pressure or expectation around the England team at that at that time uh, and I think that was more than justified by the way they performed in those two tournaments 2018 World Cup I don't think there was much expectation either. But I think that tournament and, and the Euros that followed and get doing well and, and looking like a team, I think that has brought a lot of, um, maybe not expectation, maybe more entitlement out amongst English fans, English media, where we just expect not just the team to sail through the group and, and, and into the later stages of the competition, but we expect them to, to do so playing the kind of free-flowing football that, to my mind, England have almost never played at tournaments. So, I mean, you see, there are an awful lot of grumbles and whinges and whines and hashtag Southgate out on en route to the um, the Euros final 18 months ago. So I dare say if England, if they, if they even drop a point, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they will in this group stage, and they might not get through it at all. It's it's not the easiest group. It's not the hardest group. It's not the easiest group at all. Um so I can see a lot of people going into it with fixed perceptions of of what the problem is, what the issue is, and expecting the team to hit the ground running when I don't think they're going to, expecting to be entertained when I don't think they're going to. And I just, yeah, I, I feel like there is that pressure. There is that sort of backdrop of people are going to think this isn't good enough if it's not excellent. I don't think that's fair, but I think that's that's the reality in Southgate as sort of alluded to it himself saying he's seen England managers go through a certain cycle of, of people worshipping them when they first arrive and then sort of falling out of love with them. And I think I think Southgate's um, very much on the sort of back end of that cycle where people, I don't know, people seem to expect him to abandon what, what has worked pretty well for him so far. 
Well, we'll see. We'll see if it if it becomes a, a galvanizing force. It could be. It could it could become that, especially if if the players, as James Madison, who who spoke the other day at the England training centre, was saying that you know everyone is together. I think we've all seen England at major tournaments in in, in recent years, and they've been brilliant. I mean, in, at the Euros, you could see there was a there was a feel about the Euros and and in Russia that the togetherness was was all there for for everyone to see publicly in house and. And coming back into the squad and, and and meeting up in the first few days, it's it's been the same kind of uh, same sort of thing, and you can feel it. You know, there's a real good energy, and you've obviously heard ex-players in the past talk about maybe when they met up with England um, in previous years about it being a bit, a bit, I don't know, the atmosphere not being right, maybe a little bit of rivalry from from certain clubs, but there's just no feel of that here. There's such a good group, such a young, uh, well balanced group with young players and experienced players, and just don't think that'll be a problem. When Ollie was just speaking there, Paul, and he mentioned the word entitlement and expectation, I saw you smirk. Um, from the, <laughs> the perspective of outside England, obviously you're covering the United States who are in England's group. What's your take on where England stand? And also, when you hear Englishmen talking about England, what do you think? Do you think, oh, guys, come on, you've got so many good players, just just leave it out and just get on with it? It's probably a mix of both of those things, to be honest. I mean, there was a discussion yesterday in the in the American media room about expectations around England and and the idea that yes, the the expectation around your group is higher in England than it is anywhere else in the world. But I think that's true probably about any other country, right? Because you know your team better than anyone else, and thus you understand what their ceiling is better than anyone anyone else, and that creates that higher level of expectation. I think, you know, going into this tournament, there is a lot of discussion around the favorites being, you know, you, you, when you start talking about who are the who are the best teams in this tournament, you start with Brazil, you talk about France, you talk about Argentina, and then you get down to the that kind of the next tier and, and England is at the top of that next group. So I think, you know, I don't know if the expectation in England is that they are the favorite to win this tournament or one of the two or three favorites to win this tournament. I kind of have them at fourth or fifth, um, which is a pretty pretty high expectation, right? I mean, the idea of, you know, this team should go back to a semifinal, um, you know, that's a, that's a heavy expectation. That being said, I agree with what Jack and Ollie have, have talked about in regards to this tournament being a bit more of a crapshoot in, in that there's so little time going into it and form and fitness play such a big role. We've seen big players go down. We've seen the injuries to the France squad. We understand, maybe we don't understand yet how good form matters. Like, is it better that Christian Pulisic has played limited minutes for Chelsea and he's not as exhausted as the players who have been playing all of these fixtures in England? Or is it better for the players of England, like that Mason Mount, who's been playing every single game? Is that going to have a, a positive effect in that their form is at top notch? Is it going to have a negative effect in that their legs are, are tired? We're going to ask these questions about every team and we won't know yet. We won't know until a, a few matches have been played. So... Yeah, when it comes to England, I, I do think there is like um, I, I I remember when we did this our live show uh, after the groups were announced and 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 you and I spoke right away about the U.S. expectations and then your first question to Jack was let's talk about England's path to the final and that that made me <laughs> chuckle a bit because it was like immediately let's talk about getting to a World Cup final. Um, I, I think maybe that conversation happens in only England um, right away. But, you know, I again, I, I just think that, that that part of that is because 
you've seen a team that's gone to a semifinal and a final in back-to-back tournaments. So where should the expectations be placed on this team? I think it's quite fair to talk about, you know, trying to win a trophy if you're Gareth Southgate. And he probably doesn't like that talk. He, he probably wants to try to keep that idea of, you know, we're underdogs. No one believes in us. Um, but I, I just don't know that that's true anymore. You know what, Paul? Having just sort of discussed the, the pre-tournament perceptions and, and you having referenced what you just referenced a few moments ago when we heard that England and the USA were going to be in the draw, you know what? To hell with it. We're going to be looking ahead next to England's path to World Cup glory. We're going to do it just for you. Wonderful. Hello there. This upcoming World Cup, what are The Athletic going to be doing about it? Well, I'm James Richardson and every night I'll be hosting a totally football show with the likes of Raphael Honigstein, James Horncastle and the rest of the Totally crew. Then every morning from Qatar, wham, The Athletic Football Podcast will be at you with David Ornstein, Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and many more. There'll also be World Cup content from Adam Hurry's Football Clichés Podcast, Michael Cox's insightful Athletic Football Tactics Podcast and Joe Devine's TIFO Podcast with all the stories that matter from Qatar. All in all, The Athletic is your essential audio companion for the upcoming World Cup. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. B1. So B1 for England. This is the Athletic Football Podcast with Adam Leventhal, joined by the Athletic's dedicated England writers, Jack Pitt-Brook and Ollie Kay, as well as our US men's national team writer, Paul Tenorio. Uh, England and the United States are alongside Iran and Wales in Group B, and all the talk is that it's arguably the most competitive group because it is the only group with all four teams being in the top 20 of the FIFA rankings. I suppose that if you are going to believe that it is the most competitive, you also have to believe deeply in the uh, in the FIFA rankings. Um, Jack, from your point of view, do you think that it is it is really that sort of dreaded group or are England just trying to sort of talk it up a bit? Um I would say that I would have thought the most competitive group would have been, what is it, uh, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. I mean, to me, that of you know, without consulting the the FIFA rankings, which I must admit I don't do very often, that to me that looks like the that looks like the best group. England's group, I think, is I certainly don't think it's going to be easy. I think I think all three games will be really hard in their own ways. 
I think England should go into, uh, England certainly would go into all three of those games as favourites to win the individual game. Obviously, we know that it doesn't always work like that in international football. But I do think England have become a lot more efficient under Gareth Southgate. We've all seen England come play very badly and come unstuck in in group games in the past. You know, at the Algeria 0-0 in 2010, case in point, the USA game in 20. 20- in 2010. So it's not like England have got a perfect record in games like this, but I do think that England England have got better better in these games under Southgate. So I'm not, you know, I'm I'm certainly not very I am not very bullish about England's chance at the World Cup, but equally I am not worried about them not going through the group. Something I'll definitely this will definitely get clipped up and then tweeted out in about 12 <laughs> days time when England lose their first two games. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. No problem with that. Um Ollie, Iran and Wales, obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to Paul about about the the United States in a moment. Obviously, with Iran, they've got that you know that English link that we will always look for. Carlos Quiros, you know, formerly uh, at Manchester United, two times in charge of uh, Iran, and I think he spoke with almost a, a bit of an edge when he was speaking ahead of the tournament a couple of days ago. And then there's obviously Wales and that that huge rivalry. Do you think these games become maybe with Iran because of the the climate, especially it's not that far away from Qatar. They're, they're used to they're used to the the climate, um, and with Wales, they're both just very hot games, quite literally. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's, it, it feels with the USA and with, with with Wales, it feels quite familiar, and it, they're not those sort of unknown quantity games that you sometimes get. And I think Iran feels much more like an unknown quantity, in as much as anybody is in in. in the sort of globalised football world we have these days. Iran, they're, they're ranked 20th, 20th in the world. They're, they're, clearly, they're clearly decent. Their, their warm-up results have been good. They qualified impressively, um, didn't concede many goals. Keros, we, you know, we know he's, he's, you know he's a very technical, but sort of defensive technical style of management um, or style of coaching, sets up a team well. I, I don't see this as an easy group at all. I don't see England as, as a team that would ever sort of particularly blow away opponents in, in tournament football. Obviously, they did Panama um, in, in 2018. That was you know, the exception, really. And I don't think any of these games are pushovers at all. I would expect three really close games that England might win by a goal and might draw and could feasibly lose. I mean, I, I don't, don't see them losing all three, but I, I, I see them being really... Really tough games, and I, I don't mean group of death type tough games. I just mean really difficult, awkward games against opponents that want to make life difficult for them. And um, I just think it's going to be tough. I, I think it's going to be a slog, and I think it, I think it's going to be a slog for a lot of teams in this in this tournament with with this particular schedule and this format. And um, I think England are one of those teams who have to be ready to kind of try and win ugly at times. And Paul, you know, England fans are, are looking at that Wales game and the, the familiarity, but it's very much the, the case with, with the game against the United States as well, with, with so many of the players, what is it, eight members of the, the squad are England based. Cameron Carter Vickers is at, at Celtic at the moment. So it's it's almost the, the same story with that game as well, almost like a, a derby game, if you will. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, that level of familiarity, I think there's been a discussion of, is that an advantage for the U.S. in the sense that they're, you know, an England team that's got so many star players in the United States, there's no team with which the fans are more familiar because the Premier League is is the mo- one of the more popular leagues in the country. 
But for American players, they're playing with them and against them at Leeds, at Chelsea. Cameron Carter-Vickers is English-American, grew up playing at Spurs. Anthony Robinson, obviously at Fulham now, grew up playing at Everton. Eunice Musa played at Arsenal and with the England under-18s. So, you know, they're talking about, you know, Gio Reyna was talking about Jude Bellingham being one of his best friends that he spends so much time with at Dortmund. Um, they're not afraid of of these players. They they know them. You know, Christian and Mason Mount go back to childhood together. Um, and and so there is that, you know, intimate familiarity. And on top of that, you know, there is this sort of American inferiority complex when it comes to to soccer, to football, and and playing England, proving yourself against the English team. That's a part of this as well. You know, for the players who aren't already over in the Premier League, you know, this is a stage to say to measure themselves and to say to show the world we are just as good or I am better than this this player. And so I think you're going to see that attitude in this game. It's it's interesting because, you know, I think that tactically the, the more difficult opponents for the U.S. are going to be Wales and Iran because they like to sit deep and defend and the U.S. is best when they're out running and in transition and they can get vertical quickly. That's that's how the U.S. thrive. When you look at their midfield of Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, they 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 want to win those duels and, and push the ball forward quickly. And they struggle against teams that give them the ball and say, you know, break us down. Well, against England, England's not going to sit back. They're going to take the game to the U.S. And so I think it'll actually theoretically allow some of the the, the ways the U.S. want to play to to unfold the way they would like it to. Now, the question is just how good is this U.S. team in comparison to England? I think there's no doubt that England is the better team. And so, you know, that for me, it creates this kind of toss up of, you know, can the U.S. actually handle the pressure of, of the players from England and, and handle that part of it um, to be able to get into a, a, a good open game? But I do think that England faces a group where they have a huge rival in Wales. They have a very difficult tactical matchup against Iran that is going to try to make things as difficult defensively as possible. And then they have a game against the U.S. where it's going to be about Americans wanting to prove themselves uh, and and to make a point against England. And that's that's not going to be easy for for Gareth Southgate's team to handle. I think it is it is a tough matchup, you know, through and through in this group for England. And that comes with being, you know, the favorite of the group, I think. Absolutely. So let's forget about uh, worrying about games against uh, the USA and and Wales and Iran. And let's talk about the rest of the tournament that England are going to head to, Paul, I jest, of course. Um, Jack, I wanted to give you this question. I wanted you to just sort of explain for people who haven't, because it has been, look, it's been a, a domestic season. People are just sort of coming up to the, the fact that, right, okay, right, we have to focus on a World Cup now. They might not have even engaged with with England's route through the tournament. How important is it? for England to finish top of Group B in your eyes in terms of what might come next? And there are so many ifs and buts. It, you know, you can't take into consideration a possible implosion in one of these teams, it, you know, the Netherlands or France or or even Argentina. We don't know what's going to happen. But in an ideal world where everyone meets their level, what's the, what's the best route for England? Well, it is worth just reiterating that these things never, ever, ever turn out as you expect <laughs> yeah, them to turn out. True. So many people listening to this podcast will have, you know, spent their childhoods or even their adult years like planning out who's going to play who in a World Cup before it starts. And you never get you never get anywhere near correct. But that all said, so in the last 16, England are paired up with Group A. And Group A, of course, is Qatar, 
Ecuador, Senegal and the Netherlands. So that means that if England win Group B, they will get the runners-up of Group A. And if England are the runners-up in Group B, they will get the winners of Group A. So realistically, that's probably going to be uh, Senegal or the Netherlands in the last 16. Honestly, I don't think England would want to play either of those teams. You know, Senegal are African champions. They won African Nations Cup uh, at the start of this year. They've obviously taken Sadio Mane, even though he picked up that injury for Bayern Munich last week. I don't think, I think that would be a really, really tough game. I also think the Dutch would be a really, really tough game because they've got, you know, they've got a spine of brilliant players and they've got Louis van Gaal, one of the greatest managers in history. But let's just say England won that, England won that game. They would then be paired with uh, a team from Group C or... So whether they win the group or not, their quarterfinal in both instances would be against a team from C or D. And that's when it gets really, really tough. Because Group C is Argentina, Mexico, Poland, Saudi Arabia, I think. And Group D is another really nasty group. France, the current holders. Denmark, the dark horses of our the, the athletic columnist Mauricio Pochettino. Tunisia and Australia. So whether England win the group or come second they would realistically be facing one out, probably one out of France, Argentina and Denmark in the quarterfinal. And I think England would lose to all three of those teams. So that's how I, uh, that's how I see things going. And I can't, I can't tell you off the top of my head who they would get in the semifinals. Well, let's, let's wait for that to just have it as, you know, to (laughs) to look forward to. Um, Maybe something that's that's a little bit easier to predict, Ollie, is someone who we think will be the, the breakout star in this in this England side, I mean, everyone is getting excited about Jude Bellingham. We know that he is going to start the tournament. You know, most probably because of Calvin Phillips uh, being injured, he's got his opportunity. He's got himself in that team. How excited are you about him as a as a star, but also being in that England team at a World Cup and being able to showcase his talents? Um, yeah, extremely excited. I mean, you you compare with say Michael Owen going to the uh, 1998 World Cup as an 18-year-old, and that felt quite a leap of faith in some ways because he was just coming to the end of a, his first season. He'd been brilliant at Liverpool, but but he was he was incredibly young. But Bellingham has played you know, more than 150 career appearances at club level. He's already been to a tournament with England. He's got 17 caps at the age of 19, and he's performing at such a high level. And is a is a fantastic player. I think at the Euros we just saw cameos from him. Really, it was it was coming on here and there, and um, you know, looking good, but not really in a in a position to be starting games uh, when it mattered. Whereas now it feels like he probably should be starting the opening game against um, Iran with with Declan Rice in midfield and and maybe a three man midfield. Who knows? But that to me is exciting. The, the, the fact that we've got you know this nineteen year old performing at exceptionally high level in the Champions League, who is ready to go in as a starter and not just because of a shortage of other options, but because he's he's been really good at, at club level. I actually thought he was probably one of the few that came out of the um, September internationals with his reputation further enhanced in, in, in the Nations League. But on top of Bellingham, I mean, in terms of breakout stars for England, I mean, there's Bukayo Saka, who's 21, Phil Foden, who's 22. These are guys who, again, um, were in the Euro squad. Both of them started a, you know, a couple of games Saka sort of probably did the better of the two, and and, and Foden sort of ended ended up ended the tournament on the bench, having started it in the, in the lineup. But I see one or other of them. Now it probably won't be both, but one or other of them 
really grasping this opportunity and, 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 and this tournament because you know, they've both been in good form this season. I mean, Foden, exceptionally good for the, the first few weeks. Saka has maintained that, you know, over, over the past month or so for you know, Arsenal team that's flying. So I think, although I feel a bit sort of hesitant and a bit gloomy about certain aspects of the England team and, and frustrated that certain players haven't really emerged or kicked on since the Euros, I look at Saka and Foden and, and Bellingham and think, you know, these three can give England something that they didn't really have in their starting lineup very often in the Euros. I think we were, you know, a lot of people were clamouring for Jack Grealish in the Euros. And I, I would say that if Saka isn't starting, if Foden isn't starting, people will, I would hope, be clamouring for, for them because I, th- I think they are absolutely exceptional young players that would be the envy of any team in the competition. And I can't see them both starting together a lot of the time, but I can see both of them making a really good impact when they do start or when they come off the bench. Ollie, great work. Jack, the same to you as as well. And Paul, thank you very much for, for putting up with our, our misplaced optimism. It's just sort of standard England way of doing things ahead of a tournament. But I look forward to spending more time with with all three of you uh, out in... Paul Cas- is going to have great fun throwing <laughs> throwing all this back in our faces <laughs> yeah. in about, what, is it 10 days' time? After uh, England, like, dominate... I can just see it now. England will dominate dominate possession... Not not score any goals, and then with about five minutes left, like Pulisic or McKenney or run through Harry Maguire scrambling <laughs> to get back in time, can't get there. Pulisic runs through one nil, does a big shh to everyone, <laughs> and uh, runs in front of the press box and shuts us all up. And sends England home sadly early. You know the the worst part is that the the misplaced optimism here might be about the Americans' capability to do what you just described, not about the England squad. So we'll, we'll see what happens once the tournament starts. Indeed, we will. Gents, thank you very much indeed. And don't forget, we are with you throughout the tournament, every day of the tournament in Qatar, right here on The Athletic Football Podcast. We'll catch you soon. The Athletic.